0: Hello everyone, welcome to The Dialogue Show. I'm your host, founder of Dialogue, Josh Katzman. The mission of Dialogue is to help people understand the world. In modern times, it is harder than ever to understand the world around us. The sheer volume of content that the internet creates every day makes it nearly impossible to keep up with the never-ending news cycle. The increasing partisanship of institutions like the news, the government, and big tech makes it hard to know who to trust. Our world is getting more and more complicated every day, and we don't have the tools to properly understand it. That's why we created Dialogue. At Dialogue, we want to build the tools to help people understand every topic, every news event, every controversy, every statistic, and every opinion. There are two main projects we're working on to achieve our mission. First is The Dialogue Show, a weekly debate and discussion show that brings on speakers from opposite sides of the aisle to discuss the week's most important topics. Our second project is an open source platform that uses AI to give people real time, balanced summaries on every topic in the world. We'll talk more about the open source AI project soon, but I do wanna quickly note that we're hiring engineers to work on this AI platform. And if you're interested to please go to our website at www.dialog.so and reach out. As you can tell by now, I will be the host and moderator of each dialogue show. I wanna be clear on some things up front. I have no intention of introducing my personal opinion or bias into any of these shows. I am just as confused about the world and about these topics as any of you. And my job with the show is to set the rules and structure to ensure that we can all better understand these topics through our wonderful speakers. In addition, given that our goal here is to help people understand the world through debate and discussion, I will not invite on speakers who debate and discuss in bad faith. As in, I will not be inviting on people who scream and yell, who don't let their fellow speaker talk, or people who want to incite hate. If one of our speakers who's on the show starts to operate in bad faith, I will give them a chance to correct themselves, and if they don't, I will end the show. All right, so now that we've covered dialogue and I've given you an overview of the dialogue show, I think it's time we start our first episode. The topic for our first episode is, should the government cancel student loan debt? And today's speakers will be Ben Burgess and Brad Palumbo. Ben Burgess is a columnist for Jacobin, a left-wing magazine that offers socialist perspectives on politics, economics, and culture. Ben is also an adjunct philosophy professor and the host of the podcast and YouTube show, Give Them an Argument. He's been on the Joe Rogan Experience, Debate Night with Charlie Kirk, The Majority Report, and The Young Turks. Our second speaker is Brad Palumbo. Brad is a libertarian conservative journalist and the co-founder of Base Politics. Brad has appeared on Fox News and Fox Business and has written for publications such as USA Today, The National Review, Newsweek, and The Daily Beast. He is also the host of the Breaking Boundaries podcast. Brad will kick us off in this discussion about student loan debt. So Brad, whenever you're ready, please take it away. The biggest problem with the push to cancel student
1: debt, which really means make taxpayers absorb the financial loss for it, is that it rests on a false assumption that we're in a student debt crisis. But while college is much too expensive and people have a lot in student loans, we're actually not living through a student loan crisis in any meaningful sense of the word. We've all been inundated with horror stories about people buried in hundreds of thousands of debt. They can't pay off, but those stories are very much the exception, not the norm. They just receive disproportionate media coverage because many people on the media, they seize on those stories to push an agenda, student debt relief, which is something they support for ideological and partisan reasons, but when you actually look at the numbers, it's really not clear that there is a student debt crisis at all. Yes, Americans owe about 1.8 trillion in student debt, most of which is held by the federal government, aka federal taxpayers, but big numbers alone don't constitute a crisis. After all, Americans also owe 1.5 trillion in auto loan debt, but nobody really calls that a crisis. And of course, Americans owe 11.4 trillion in total mortgage debt, more than six times as much as student loans. And of course, nobody walks around and says that we're living through a mortgage mortgage debt crisis. It is very much only in student loans where a large amount of debt is intrinsically viewed as a crisis, even though for most people, the payments are actually pretty affordable. So the average monthly student loan payment under typical conditions, looking at a standard 10 year plan with 4% interests is about $287 a month, according to the Cato Institute. And because the average recipient of a bachelor's degree earns 1.2 million dollars more over their lifetime and has a starting salary on average of $55,000, that's a pain, but it's not a crisis. In fact, it only would account for about 6% of a graduate's salary. So how are we to ask taxpayers to take on an enormous burden, absorb over $1.5 trillion in financial burden? all in response to a crisis that's overhyped and exaggerated. And in fact, the people pushing this want taxpayers to spend trillions of dollars to help a slice of society that's relatively affluent. We, it seems like everybody goes to college these days, but it's really only still a small slice of the public that actually has a bachelor's degree. And by and large, they're the ones who benefit from student debt relief, but they're also the ones who make more money than everyone else. That's why people go to college which is why a University of Chicago study found that six times more benefit goes to the top 20% than the bottom 20% from complete student debt cancellation. This isn't a much-needed response to a crisis. It's welfare for the affluent at the working taxpayer's expense.
0: Thanks, Brad. Up next, we'll have Ben, who will start with his intro, and then he'll go into his first line of questions for Brad.
2: I'm not actually especially interested in whether student uh, loan debt counts as a crisis. I'm interested in whether student debt is a combination of words that would exist in a civilized society. And I think the answer is no. Imagine that we lived in a society where every now and again, the high priests uh, read something particularly worrying and goat entrails and thought the gods were displeased. So they arranged a uh, human sacrifice on the White House lawn since I'm A, an atheist, and B, not a supporter of the death penalty, I would be against that. But I wouldn't really care whether enough people were being sacrificed on the White House lawn to count as a full-blown crisis. If it was one guy every two years, there was absolutely nothing compared to other forms of death by violence, I'd still want the president to issue an executive order and joining the high priests against going onto the White House lawn and doing sacrifices. Now, making people go into debt to pay for a college education is nowhere near as bad as human sacrifice. But the real question is, should it be a thing that happens in the first place? If not, and I don't think so, then it's obviously wrong to continue to shake people down for payments. If a mob protection racket extorted payments from shopkeepers, and some of them were behind on their payments while others were current, no reasonable person would say that shutting down the protection rackets that no one owed further payments would be unfair to those who'd already paid everything they owed or unfair to people who didn't have shops at all and so weren't affected by this. Um, My view is that public education should be tuition free from preschool to graduate school. No one should be charged for it in the first place, and as such, no one should be hounded for payments for it after the fact. Right-wing critics of even the relatively limited and miserly student debt cancellation attempted by the Biden administration and uh, recently overturned in a pretty astonishing act of conservative judicial activism by the Supreme Court will often describe it as if uh, cancellation were a cash transfer to the beneficiaries of cancellation. But we should note that this is in with the way they themselves would normally talk about debts owed to the federal government. When Republican politicians pass tax cuts, canceling some of what would otherwise be owed by upper income Americans in the future, I never hear conservatives or Republicans describing this money as money that's being paid to those upper income Americans by the federal government, even though, uh, at least on the surface, uh, it seems like the same reasoning would apply. Less money will be coming in, that has to be made up for somehow, with cuts, with more debt, or by taking it from somewhere else. And so it seems to me, if we're gonna describe uh, one asking for less money to come in in the future as a transfer to the people that you're not gonna ask for the money to come in from, uniform standards would be nice. Now, I think uh, by far the strongest point Brad made is that a minority of Americans go to college. I'm cautiously optimistic that it would be a larger percentage if college were tuition free and no one worried that they'd have to go into debt in the first place to pay for it, even so, I want universal student debt cancellation paired with, for example, universal medical debt cancellation, which could be justified by uh, reasoning that is uh, would be exactly similar, certainly on uh, on my part, uh, which would benefit a far wider swath of the population. And if the concern is that Canceling student debt um, means that uh, that people who have more are paying less to the federal government. There is a solution to that, uh, which is called taxes. Uh, you know, if you if your goal is to get people who have more to pay for the federal government, you can just do that directly by raising taxes on an upper income bracket, rather than going through this extremely imperfect proxy of student loan debt, where even the most beneficiaries are uh, on the upper end of the income distribution. uh, There's absolutely no guarantee that's always the case. And in fact, the debt lies hardest on those uh, minority of beneficiaries who are not. My question for Brad, though, would be this. Does he agree that K-12 education should be tuition-free? And if so, what's the difference? And if he thinks it should be tuition-free, I would love to have him enter into a little hypothetical for me. Imagine that it wasn't. Would you support cancellation of high school student loan debt if public high schools were not tuition free? And if not, why not? So I want to respond to a couple
1: points and then I'll dive into that specific question. But one, the question of should student debt exist? I would say yes, frankly, it should. I mean, what we're talking about is a degree, an education that will earn you a million dollars or more over your lifetime. And if you're going to end up being twenty to thirty thousand dollars in debt, uh, which is uh, around the average for a graduate uh, in 2021, yeah. I think that's a fair trade-off to ask you to make when you're going to make over a million dollars more on average in your lifetime to have some skin in the game and maybe take a little bit of debt and pay a few hundred dollars a month. I don't find that unreasonable at all. And what I do find unreasonable is the proposition That it wouldn't exist which means taxpayers would be paying for it because nothing is free resources can never be conjured out of thin air everything must come from somewhere else and so what you're really saying if you say student debt shouldn't exist is that i have a right to pursue my higher education to go study to go live my life on campus and make Bob down the street, pay for it, make the trucker down the street, pay for it, make the person who already went to college and paid it their own way, pay for it. And I don't think adults have the right to subsist off of others when they're fully able bodied and capable of taking care of themselves. I think it is right and moral to ask them to pay their own way and have skin in the game on an investment that's going to radically improve their economic prospects. The primary benefits are to them. And so, yeah, I think it's totally fine to have some degree of student debt, although I do think college could be much less expensive than it is through a variety of reforms. That's kind of a separate issue. Now onto the question, I would say I do largely believe that access to K through 12 education uh, should be available regardless of a family's means. Um, Ideally, I would probably have richer families have have to pay for it themselves, but sure, yes, it should be available through K-12 to anybody. I favor school choice, a voucher, a Milton Friedman-esque voucher system, but I do think poor families should have some form of tuition support uh, from taxpayers because I do want every child to have an opportunity, but that's the difference. We're talking about children, not adults. That is a dividing line we draw in society for a reason. And we expect adults to take care of themselves and not to subsist off of others. And yes, obviously children are not ready to take care of themselves. That's why they're considered children. So for me, that's the most fundamental distinction between K-12 and higher education. But then the flip side is also that you kind of need at least a basic education, right? Reading and writing in a, high, in a high school diploma to function as an adult in society. You don't need a bachelor's degree. Two and three Americans over age 25 don't have one. It uh, It is more common and a lot of paths to success do require one, but plenty don't. And the majority of adult Americans don't have a bachelor's degree. So while it's become a lot more common, it's still something extra. It's not a basic prerequisite of existing in America in the same way that a high school diploma really is. So those are the main reasons why I I don't think there's anything inconsistent about believing in some degree of income-based support for K-12 education for children, and yet expecting adults to pay their own way and take on skin in the game for their own investments that will improve their lifetime earnings when it comes to higher education. That's the reason we call it higher education. After all, it is extra, it is additional Uh, It is beyond the basic, and I think it is more than fair to ask people to pick up that tab for themselves rather than to essentially uh, mooch off their neighbors and force them to pick up the tab for their own personal advancement.
2: So I wanted to note a couple things about that answer. First, if you listen closely, and Brad, please do correct me if I'm getting into this wrong, but what it sounded like to me is that Brad isn't actually saying that K-12 public education should be free the way that it is right now. In fact, I wasn't entirely clear on whether he thinks there should be such a thing as public education per se. It sounds like he wants either public schools that charge tuition to anyone who can't prove that they can't afford it um, or uh, or who's above you know a certain uh, income threshold uh, or maybe that we should only have... Uh, private schools, but we should uh, have income support in the form of means-tested public vouchers for those uh, those private schools, and that definitely shapes the changes the shape of the discussion. If that is his position, so I'd be very curious if I'm getting that right. Uh, and if that is right, I do think this cuts to the heart of our larger philosophical disagreement. I don't think that adults benefiting from a variety of public services that everybody pays through for through uh, progressive taxation. Amounts, in his phrase, to adults mooching from their neighbors. Um, If Brad's house is on fire and a taxpayer-funded public fire department comes in to put it out, I don't think he is therefore mooching off of his neighbors. If he checks a book out of a public library or takes his dog on a walk in a public uh, park, I don't think that Brad is mooching off of his neighbors. you know, I don't think he's mooching off of all the other taxpayers who like him have to uh, kick in a share toward all of those things. And so my very simple follow-up question would be, given the way he laid it out before that, okay, children is one thing, but adults shouldn't benefit from, uh, from this kind of uh, taxpayer help, uh, would he disagree with me about those examples? Does he think that uh, public services in general Public parks, public libraries, public fire departments, public police departments, etc., are all instances in which the beneficiaries are mooching off of their neighbors.
1: Yeah, so um, in response to that question, look, I'm certainly not out here railing to defund the fire department, uh, but I think it gets to a question of what we think the proper scope of government is. And for me, I believe in a limited government that largely exists to protect uh, the life, liberty, and property of its citizens. So a fire department protects your physical safety and your property uh, it is not, you know, pursuing a degree in gender studies. I think they're pretty different things also because the benefits of, you know, basically everybody's house is about equally likely to burn down. I would say, I, I guess that gets into some niche construction questions that maybe I'm not informed upon, but that's just a common thing that faces all members of society. However, you getting a degree that will increase your lifetime earnings a million dollars or more over your lifetime. That's a you thing. That's not an all of society thing. And I don't think it's irrespon I don't think it's, I, I do think it's mooching to make your neighbors pay for that. I mean, just imagine it's all free. It's all taxpayer funded. I could go study my bachelor's degree. I can go get my PhD in poetry. It doesn't matter if it has any social utility at all. I can just live the college life with my friends and bury my nose in the books and subsist at everyone else's expense while they work. I think that is an immoral. I think it's an unjust way to organize society, to essentially shackle onto others the financial burden of enabling somebody else's extended adolescence i just completely reject it Uh, i think a limited government to protect our, our rights liberty and safety is one thing right we come together to fund a fire department but it's a whole nother to say that you have a right to force other people to pay for your college degree to to increase your lifetime earnings and then to enable you to have in many year times in many college campuses these days essentially just have a a a multiple year-long adolescence partying drinking sleeping through classes i mean i went to a public college and i'll tell you A lot of it's a joke. A lot of modern higher education has very little redeeming intellectual value, uh, very little actual practical uh, usefulness outside of certain sectors like STEM or tech. Uh, It's really become, uh, and there's a great book about this by Brian Kaplan, but it's really become a sorting mechanism rather than something that actually increases your intellect or productivity or skills. Uh, But so no, I don't find it uh, at all compelling that that should be socialized in the same way that a a highway or a fire department or police or a military are. And also there's not a free rider problem in the same way, because the fundamental reason to finance something like a fire department or a military through taxation is because of the free rider problem. If it was all just voluntarily funded, individuals would have a incentive to free ride and it wouldn't get adequately funded overall that's not really the case with a higher education because so much of the benefit is primarily onto you, the individual who gets the degree. So you will pay for it if it is meaningful to you. Uh, And so I just think it is a totally different uh, comparison. And so that's how I feel about that. But I have some questions for Ben uh, and one of which is that I know, and I don't mean this pejoratively, but I know you're a progressive. I think you would call yourself a socialist. At least you write for Jacobin. Uh, And so, Is it not strange to find yourself in the position where you're advocating a government intervention, a a government spending redistribution program that basically all people, all serious policy analysts from the Urban Institute to the Brookings Institute to the Cato Institute to the Heritage Foundation to the CBO all agree is regressive? It is not progressive. The benefits primarily flow to the upper slices of income distribution and very small benefits to the poor and working class. I mean, this is not, it's just a question of who, who holds student debt. I, like I said, I can show you the Chicago study that six times more benefit goes to the top 20% of earners than the bottom 20%. But basically every analysis finds some degree of regressive benefits from this policy, from the Urban Institute, from Brookings, from these center-left sources that actually still support it. But my question is this, is it not strange for you to find yourself in the position where, as a progressive, you are advocating for a policy that is objectively regressive in its benefits and outcomes?
2: No, it doesn't bother me for a couple of reasons. First, I think that while true, the point that it disproportionately benefits higher income earners is misleadingly incomplete. People from disadvantaged backgrounds who take out student loan debt are more likely to owe lots of debt much later on than people who come from better off backgrounds. That's why black graduates, for example, are so much more likely statistically than white graduates to owe more student loan debt. Uh, It's not somehow built into uh, the melanin, that's about economics. Uh, Second, uh, if the democratic socialist agenda that I want were enacted, uh, including full cancellation of all student loan debt, um, no one could seriously argue that the package would be net regressive. I want tuition-free higher education paid for with progressive income taxes, and hence making the people Brad says he's worried about benefiting pay more. I also want all sorts of other things paid for by progressive taxation because we have a fundamental disagreement on the proper role of the state. And trust me, the net effect will not be regressive. On that larger disagreement, I want to just remind everyone that I asked Brad, given that he says some degree of financial support is fine K-12, but not for adults, since adults shouldn't mooch off their neighbors what he thinks of a variety of relatively uncontroversial public services like fire departments and public parks and public libraries. He answered the part about fire departments by saying that part of the function of government for him is to protect life uh, and putting out fires keeps people alive. Now, I cannot resist taking just a moment here that I'm delighted to hear Comrade Brad is now implicitly on board with Medicare for all, uh, which uh, which also keeps people alive. But uh, I'll also note that we never heard about public parks and public libraries, for which there's no protected life and liberty justification, but which are part of how a reasonable society secures a better, richer life for everyone, which, to my mind, also includes giving everybody who wants to spend the first few years of their adulthood reading and thinking and developing their mind and trying to figure out what to do with their life a chance to do that. When Brad talks about what college is like beyond uh, gesturing at, you know, drinking and partying and this kind of animal house description that describes some people's college experience far more than others and honestly describes the totality of almost no one's, uh, Brad wants to talk about BAs and gender studies. He wants to talk about PhDs in poetry, but I just want to note the double standard. He doesn't think it matters that some people struggle for decades to pay awful student debt burdens. Uh, He doesn't think it matters that worse off graduates are hurt disproportionately by student debt because all that matters is the average. All that matters is what's the average income of people who went to college and people who hold student debt. Somehow though, when he wants to portray college as fundamentally frivolous, he doesn't want to talk about the average. He doesn't want to talk about the most popular majors like business health engineering or computer science he wants to talk about stuff that's actually quite unpopular that's actually quite unaverage and i'm not sure why
1: so the reason i'm i was focused in those examples on poetry or gender studies is because it's not the computer science majors who are having trouble paying off their student loan debt i can assure you that uh, and the fundamental problem with having people come in and have taxpayers absorb all the costs, regardless of what people study, is you're removing the incentive that pushes people to study the things that have higher af- after graduation incomes, like computer science degrees or business degrees, as opposed to political science or poetry or philosophy or these other degrees that really have abysmal uh post-graduation outcomes and very low starting salaries on average, which is all information people have available and know going into the college selection process and as they're choosing a major. And so fundamentally, I don't want to reward decisions that are not productive and wouldn't be productive for an individual to choose on their own if they had to weigh all the costs and benefits, but might be something they'd choose when the costs are passed on to other people and whatever benefits there are are still mostly given to them. So that's why I've focused on those examples, but just to fundamentally just push back on the the idea that, it is not the case that, that what is happening on most college campuses is just rigorous intellectual development. I really don't think that's true. In fact, there's a, a lot of studies showing in books, there's an entire book written about this, The Case Against Education by Brian Kaplan, showing oh, that huge swaths of college students, uh, if you test them before and after on things like critical thinking and reading comprehension, show no difference if you if you test them before college and then five years after. And so I really do question the value of a lot of what passes as higher education today. And if people are actually on the hook for the costs and benefits, then they can choose things that I don't see value in, but I shouldn't be forced to subsidize their extended adolescence, which kind of brings me to my next question for Ben. Somebody like me, right? I went to an affordable public in-state college for three years, were, I took credit overloads to save money. I uh, worked nights as a security guard from a week before my freshman year even started. I went out of my way to do everything I could to get graduate without student debt. And now you're suggesting that I should pay more over the rest of my lifetime in taxes or be on the hook for more government debt, which obviously has economic consequences because other people made different decisions millions of americans like me feel like that screws us over feel like that's fundamentally unfair what's your response to us because i think that's a valid frustration millions and millions of americans feel that people who hold your position should have to grapple with
2: the first point i would make is that it's a bit misleading to ask what i'd say to the millions of americans who don't think it was fair of biden to try to cancel at least some student debt when we actually have polling data on this and far more support it than oppose it. There isn't an outright majority one way or the other, since there are lots of undecideds, there, undecideds, but at least according to the Ipsos USA Today poll I saw, 47% of Americans uh, support Biden's student debt cancellation plan, only 41% are opposed to it. Now, to be fair, only about a third of Americans would go as far as I would and support wiping out all student debt, every penny is a matter of principle. Since education is a basic good everyone should have as a right, free of the point of service and paid for by everybody to the extent that they could afford it through progressive taxation, just like public parks and public libraries and Medicare and Medicaid, which I would also like uh, to be simplified to just Medicare for all. But um, an equally fair question for me to ask back to Brad would be what would he say to the large plurality of Americans who supported the president's plan, who wanted this to happen, who didn't think it was fair to continue to shake people down for student debt payments, and didn't want the Supreme Court to sweep in and impose its political preferences above their political preferences by coming up with this sort of strange Jesuitical justification about uh, what counts as waiving and what counts as uh, adjusting Um, in order to uh, stop the president from exercising power that the letter of the law pretty clearly, it seems to me, uh, gives him. Okay, you could say, but putting all that aside, uh, even after we've appropriately removed the framing about millions of people and and reminded ourselves of the existence of the more millions of people who have the other position, what would I say to people who did what Brad did, who, uh, uh, who went to all these efforts to make sure that they wouldn't have to Uh, pay off uh, debt in the first place or people who maybe didn't do quite what brad did but uh but at least managed to get all their debt paid off in uh the uh in the first place uh what i would say is that they never should have had to do that they never should have had to worry about that i think everyone whether they come from a rich family or a middle class one or a poor one has an equal right to enjoy and benefit from a basic human good like getting an education Uh, without worrying about how they're going to pay it off in the first place. Societies like some of the Nordics today, or for that matter, California back when the UC system was free, or New York back when CUNY was free, that provide this for everyone are doing a far better job of approximating justice, of approximating some kind of basic equality in the life that everybody can expect, regardless of their background, than we are, and I would like us to take a baby step in that direction by no longer hounding anybody. Uh, And yes, it does include some computer engineering majors, uh, as well as gender studies majors, but not hounding anybody for a debt for something that they should have never been charged for in the first place, and instead simply paying for education through progressive taxation. So instead of just saying, oh... Well, people who graduated from college are more likely to have more money and be able to afford to do this. We can just charge people through taxes according to
0: how much money they actually have in any given case. Okay, everyone, we're going to move into the discussion section now. In Ben's last response, he mentioned a question to you, Brad, which was, what do you say to the large plurality of people who did support President Biden's plan to cancel student loan debt? So I think, Brad, we could start there for the discussion. Maybe you could answer his question directly.
1: So as for what I would say to the millions of Americans who do support student debt cancellation, well, first, I'd say they're wrong uh, because polls don't actually tell you whether something is right or wrong. Um, But also, I would I would point out that once you explain to people, once you present them with the costs and benefits of student debt cancellation, the, it it quickly is no longer a majority position. So if you ask people, do you support canceling $10,000 in student loan debt for people under X income? The Cato Institute did really interesting polling and you get a majority saying yes. Then you ask them the same question, but say, do you support this? If, if it means higher taxes support plummets, Do you support this if it means universities will jack up tuition prices in response support plummets will you support do you support this if it means that there will be degree inflation and more jobs will require bachelor's degrees support plummets so like most things the public policy polling is a lot more complicated i guess i just say you know if you feel entitled to this i think you should pay your own bills i think you're an adult i think Uh, that my fundamental principle and belief is that people, adults should pay their own way in life and pay for the things that are gonna, and, and, you know, we can talk about extreme cases of disability or deprivation, but generally speaking, I mean, you're gonna make a million dollars more from something. You should pay for it yourself.
2: Yeah. I mean, the reason that I brought up, uh, the polling is that you asked me not just what would I say to, to you, right. You know, but to all the millions of people who, said the same thing and then i think it actually does become relevant that uh millions more would uh would say but there's
1: still millions who disagree with it even if it's a minority of the polls that's still millions of americans
2: sure but not as many millions uh as who take the contrary position and i certainly don't uh find it particularly informative that like every single other policy that has ever been proposed by anybody, support always goes down when you package the, the uh, question together with the talking points of one side of that policy debate, but not the responses from uh, from people on the other end. I find that extremely uninteresting. What I find much more interesting is uh, what you said about how you think that um, adults uh, should uh, should pay uh, should pay their own way. Uh, which you know we established uh, doesn't mean that you think that uh, adults should uh, should just be you know having to pay for private you know fire insurance uh, or private you know private security instead of uh, instead of police departments. Uh, still not totally clear you know what it means about stuff like uh, public parks and uh, and public libraries. But I mean I, I think that the sort of more, uh, more general issue is why is it that we should have this extraordinarily limited and anemic conception of what government does? You know, far less than what you know. I think even most uh, mainstream conservatives uh, would uh, w- would say that that it that it should. I mean, like why? why is it what's the you know what's what's the moral because case?
1: government because government is bloated it's inefficient it it constantly creeps in its mission and its power and government it can be oppressive if it grows large i think that's something progressives would agree with and i don't want a i, I don't want a government that uh, controls economy and people's livelihoods. I just that when you separate economic, there's a reason economic freedom and political freedom closely correspond. That's because it's a lot easier to repress people when you control their livelihoods. And so this expansive vision of government, the progressives like yourself support, where it is so so heavily in control. It's like, I acknowledge that private sector actors are motivated by greed and self interest. However, I think government actors are also motivated by greed and self-interest, whereas the entire progressive economic philosophy rests on this notion that they're going to act in the public interest. And I think basically every historical example shows that that's not true, that they have their own agenda that they're working to pursue. And that the the government should be kept incredibly limited because it's not going to work in the interest of the people of the working class. It's going to the spending is going to be lobbied for and go to whoever's got the biggest corporate lobbying budget. It's not going to be the people who rise up and benefit from all this expansions of government power. It never is. Can I? So, Ben, can I just ask you, let's be real about taxation. Oh, sure. Go ahead.
2: Ask what you'd like, but I do want to, I do want to respond to, to that. that sure. Part. Why don't you, why don't you do that first? Okay, sure. Yeah. So I think that there's an important equivocation here about, uh, about size of, uh, of government, that whether we're talking about the size of services uh, provided by government. So in that sense of size, a, uh, a means tested uh, government program uh, is smaller than a universal one or a conception of size in terms of power, held by government over people. And I would argue that very often, those two actually point in opposite directions. If you have means testing, then uh, you've one, increased uh, government bureaucracy because you now are empowering gatekeepers to decide uh, who qualifies for something and who doesn't and putting uh, putting people at their, their mercy, uh, as opposed to if something is like K-12 public education, that you just show up and get it. You have a right to it as a citizen. And I actually do think that in uh, in places where we do have things like free universal healthcare or free universal public higher education, uh, you know, like uh, some of the Nordic countries that I mentioned before, I do think that that unambiguously uh, works better for uh, for the uh, for the working class. I'm uh, I'm all in favor of economic freedom but i, I do think we'd be fundamentally different things by it last so you point, do last, last real real quick point before i throw back to you just this i wanted to say that um whenever you say uh people something is charged for at the point of service uh it's not uh it's not provided as a universal right you're decreasing people's freedom relative to the private employers who boss them around at the workplaces where they spend half their lives because now oh shit, if I piss off my boss and I get fired, now I have to worry about health insurance. Now I have to worry, how am I going to pay my kids' t- college tuition? And those are all strings of power over people that are cut when we make these things universal. So you
1: mentioned the Nordic the Nordic countries. So are you willing to admit then that you want most working and middle-class people to pay 50 to 60% taxes?
2: I think that higher taxes uh, can't be uh, can't be discussed in isolation. I think that you have to look at the overall package that you're getting. Uh, that you're so getting, that's a yes. You, know, you want exchange. fifty to
1: sixty percent tax rates, like I, they have I, in Nordic I think, countries. I think,
2: it's a, I think it's a silly framing to say, like, what do I think the specific percentage should be? I think it's I'm asking quality.
1: about the trade-offs, the costs, I, I think, because you can't I think, just have it all by taxing a, the billionaires. You admit that, right?
2: Yes, I absolutely agree with that, which is why I said that the uh, that the trade-off that I'm interested in is what extra people at any given income level are paying, and then what they're getting back in return. I think, you know, you'll find, again, that it would be very unpopular in all of those places. uh, If you, like, there is a reason why even conservative parties in places like Sweden and Denmark and Norway and Finland uh, don't campaign for office on the program, uh, oh, we're going to privatize uh, healthcare, uh, we're going we're to end tuition-free public college, etc., but don't worry, you'll pay lower taxes, because I think most people correctly, having experienced that correctly, see that that is a really good deal overall.
1: I think it's be just because the Overton window has been radically shifted and those things have been normalized and they become there's an extensive status quo bias and then uh, the nobody wants to be the one politically to take things away or to be the adult in the room but I guess I just don't understand why you feel entitled to forcibly confiscate because when we're talking about taxation we're ultimately talking about at the point of a gun forcing somebody to turn over their property how how you feel so entitled to redistribute and seize from people so much of their hard work hard worked hard earned income i mean we're talking 50 60% tax rates is what is faced in exchange for the services that you want to give to people but that's not a voluntary bargain that's that's confiscating people's wealth and giving it to other people at the point of a gun i just don't understand how you can feel entitled to so much of someone else's property at, through force
2: yeah. So uh, what I would recommend, uh, since I know we're you know coming up to the limit of the time and I want to keep this answer as brief as possible, is that people read an essay by Bat Brunig called uh, Non-Aggression uh, Never Does Any Argumentative Work at Any Time. And the core point that he makes there is that when you use this rhetoric about confiscating stuff, the point of a gun, force, violence, this is always a red herring because any distribution of scarce resources, anytime you say person A should get this in person, you know, rather than person B, that's always going to be enforced by some kind of implicit, uh, you know, system of, uh, of force. Uh, whether we're talking about a letter from the IRS is one kind of implicit threat of force and no trespass inside is another kind of threat of force. The force is exactly the same. In fact, when people do have these principles about, oh, confiscation is bad, force is bad, whatever, they'll always say, well, confiscation of legitimate property. But the legitimate is always where 100% of the action is, because the question is always what distribution of property is legitimate, and that's always a question about broader principles about justice.
0: All right. Thank you both for a great discussion here. As we wrap up, I'll now pass it to Brad, who will share his last word first. And then Ben, you're up second.
1: All right. Well, I have really enjoyed this conversation. Big thanks to Ben for engaging. It's always great and unfortunately too rare to find people on opposite sides of the issues who are willing to talk it out in a civil, if passionate manner. And so I've really enjoyed this. Uh, But just to close things out here, if I'd leave folks with a couple things, it's one, be wary of the rhetoric around a student debt crisis. Crisis is a dangerous word used often by people who are trying to convince the public to go along with something they otherwise might not. If you look at 9 11 and the Patriot Act, if you look at the coronavirus and the expansions of government power, crises, real and exaggerated, are always used to usher in expanded government power and confiscate more of your property and your liberties. And I'm afraid that this rhetoric about a student debt crisis is no exception. It's wildly exaggerated. There are some people that are struggling, but for most people, payments are pretty manageable. And it's just fundamentally unfair to ask working class taxpayers to pick up the bill for other people's education that will earn them millions of dollars more over their lifetime. It's a deeply regressive policy to force taxpayers to pick up this bill with six times more benefit going to the top 20% of income earners than the bottom 20% of income earners. It is just fundamentally regressive. It's not a moral way to rest- redistribute wealth, and it doesn't actually solve the problem of college affordability, which absolutely is out of control but a bunch of solutions for that that require a different conversation for a different day, but there's no such thing as free. And this policy is extraordinarily expensive and it benefits the people who are doing well at the expense of the working class. So it is not the bill of goods. It's been sold to you as, and remember to be critical of the messaging that you hear parroted throughout the mainstream media about this subject that makes it sound like it's a free lunch.
2: Thank you so much, Brad. This was a fun discussion, and I really hope it's not the last one that you and I have. Uh, The fundamental point that I want to close by circling and underlining is just this. I don't want a society where for some people, there's never the slightest question about whether uh, they should go to college if they want to. Uh, There's never the slightest question about whether they can have this period in their lives of learning, of exploration, of figuring things out. Um... And for others, it's a massively fraught decision. Do I want to go, have to go into debt? Is there a way to avoid it? Uh, Will I be able to afford it? What happens if I chase some trend and what major is linked to lots of jobs that have been coming available in the last few years, but then I'm caught flat footed as has happened again and again and again in the past when the economy changes and the jobs change and my degree becomes worthless maybe i should just go straight into the workforce maybe that's the sensible thing to do and even though i only have one life to live and i'm never going to get this chance again i should just do the sensible thing that's a fundamentally unfair way for society to be structured in a way that's captured by for example the veil of ignorance thought experiment from the political philosopher john rawls um, he asked people to imagine what society they would design if they didn't know, for example, whether they were going to be born in a high-income family where paying college tuition would be no problem, uh, or in a family where they had to worry about all of these things. Uh, If you don't know what kind of family background you're born into, uh, would you want some people to have to go into debt, they'd have years of anxiety about paying off even if everything went ideally well? Or would you want it to be paid for the same way we pay for K-12 public schools, for fire departments, for parks, for libraries, um, for healthcare in many countries, and if I had my way in this one, is a basic universal good paid for by everyone through universal taxation. I agree that it's bad for policies to shift debt burdens to the federal government in regressive ways. That's why I don't support stopping at student debt cancellation. I support packaging it together with student, with tuition-free public education, uh, public higher education, and healthcare, and any number of other programs. And for anyone who's watching whose big concern is that the end result of this will be that higher income people will not end up paying more, trust me, you don't need to worry about that.
0: Thanks to everyone who tuned in for the first episode of The Dialogue Show, and big thank you again to Ben Burgess and Brad Palumbo. We'll be back soon with episode two, and as mentioned at the beginning of the show, if you too care about helping people understand the world and you want to get involved with Dialogue, please head to www.dialogue.so and connect with our team. Thanks.